Well, today we're going to deal with another hot button topic. We're in uh, part six, and we only have one more. Again, every week I feel like I need a thank you for coming back, because I know this has been challenging, and today we're going to deal with the issue of pre-marital sex. Now, the minute I say that, I realize that lots of us are married, and some of you might be thinking right now, well, I guess I can pull my phone out, and I can play Tetris or Angry Birds because I'm married, and this is not going to apply to me. Well, I want to suggest that all of us, and I truly do believe this, all of us need a better understanding of this issue because of the impact it's having on our society as a whole. You might be married. That's awesome. I'm glad that you might not, this issue, specific issue of premarital sex may not directly relate to you, but trust me, someone in your life, a child, a nephew, a friend, a neighbor, someone you work with needs to understand this as well. And my job is to help you understand God's truth, God's word, so that you can pass it on to others. The impact of sex in our culture obviously is huge, and the issue of premarital sex in particular has brought more devastation than most of us are aware. I don't think we fully understand what's happening. This issue has also affected the church at large, large, and I say the church, capital C. Uh, One of the top reasons given for the massive exodus of the 20-something generation from most churches in our country today one of the top five reasons, we have, I think it's number two or three, is the church's position on premarital sex. They don't like it. They don't want to hear it. And they reject it. And so they are leaving the church. The teens and the 20-something generation leaving the church by hundreds of thousands. And one of the main reasons for it is because of this issue. I understand its, its impact. I understand it's a hot button. And I'm begging you today. I'm asking you again to listen. To open your hearts and to listen, to not get ticked off and shut down, to not get them walk out, but to actually listen to what I believe the Bible has to say about this issue. And speaking of the Bible, Ephesians 5, 3 says this, but among you, now the you there is regarding the, speaking to the church, those who call themselves Christ followers, but among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality, not even a hint of it, or any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Paul said, don't let there be even a hint of sexual immorality. That word in the original language of the Bible, Greek, is the word porneia. And uh, some translations translate it fornication. But sexual impurity is a good word. It's a broad term which does include sex outside of marriage or anything outside of the boundaries that God has established. And the Bible says, don't even flirt with it. Don't even flirt with sin. Sins like immorality, which includes sex outside of marriage because it's out of bounds for those who belong to God. The fact of the matter is, and uh, this is a fact, frequently there are instructions given to us in the Word of God. If you've read the Bible, I hope you figure that out, that there are a lot of do's and don'ts. Now, you need to hear this too, so listen carefully. We don't establish relationship with God based on our ability to abide by the rules. Can I get an amen? Thank you, Jesus, for that. It's not about what you can accomplish that establishes relationship with God. It's not about do's and don'ts, doing the right thing, living righteously, and somehow doing it enough so that we end up in favor and relationship with God. That's not what it's about. We accept the grace of God as a free gift. But when we enter into relationship with him, the Bible is very clear about this. Out of our relationship, because we are in relationship, because we love him and he loves us, there are things we do and some things we don't do. And the Bible gives us a whole bunch of those. And again, most in our culture, and tragically, too many in the church, have rejected the admonition toward sexual purity. In fact, they see it as outdated, prudish, and even ridiculous. And they would say, you can't be serious. Come on, 
You want me to wait till I get married to have sex? No stinking way. And that's the attitude of many. And so again, I realize that I'm swimming upstream this morning, but I'm going to go there nonetheless. So here are a couple things you need to consider. Number one, if you're following along your outline. Number one, because God loves us, please understand it's because of his love. Because God loves us, he has established holy standards, righteous standards as guardrails for our protection, as guardrails for our protection. I want you to see, have the mindset today of these, these, these uh, do's and don'ts, these directives of God that are guardrails there for our protection. We tend to think that God is just being restrictive. And I know that tends to be the attitude we have about him. But he's not being restrictive. He's actually being protective. He has established guardrails for our safety, for our security. This past summer, I had the opportunity to go on a motorcycle trip. In fact, it was the only trip I got to go on this last summer for a variety of reasons. But we went to eastern Oregon. And you know, I never really traveled in eastern Oregon, and it's gorgeous. I thought eastern Oregon was sort of like eastern Washington, just rolling hills and you know, farms and fields. No, eastern Oregon, it's gorgeous. There's mountains and there's rivers. And one particular time, we came down what's called the rattlesnake grade. Anybody been on the rattlesnake grade? If you've been on it in a car and you weren't driving, you must have been miserable, especially if you're from the motion sickness like I am, because it's a windy, twisty, steep road. It's amazing. And it's incredible on a motorcycle. It's awesome. But the thing is, I, more than once, I literally thought more than once, I, I, I'm so grateful for the guardrails. I've got a picture that's actually taken from the rattlesnake grade. Now, I know that's a motorcycle in the corner, and I know that that does not do it justice. That's not nearly the, the steepness or the, uh, the twistiness that's on that road. But the guardrails, more than once, I looked at those guardrails, and I thought, thank God they're there. Because if I, you know, lose it in some gravel or I go too fast around a corner, which I've done a couple of times, if I... If I, if I, if I Go down, at least I won't go off the cliff in a fiery ball of flame. I might get crushed by the guardrails, but at least I'll survive and I won't go off the end. And all too often, we don't get it. Those guardrails God has established are for our benefit. When I looked at those guardrails in that road, I didn't resent them. I promise you, not one time that I go, stinking guardrails. What's up with that? I hate these things. I just wish they'd take those off so that I could go off the cliff and die. Not one time. I was thankful for them. I did not see them as restrictive. I saw them as protective. When you tell your child not to touch a hot stove, are you just being mean? Or is it because you love them and you don't want them to get hurt? Even though they don't like it, and I was with my grandson in a mall not too long ago, and he does not like holding my hand in crowds. He does not like holding hands at all, really. He'd rather just wander around all on his own. He's two years old. And when we cross the street, even my quiet street outside my house, I say, take Grandpa's hand. Why? Because I am mean and harsh and horrible. <laughs> no. I say, take, I know you don't want to, but take my hand because I love you. And I don't want you to get lost in a mall or crushed by some big old ugly truck, hold grandpa's hand. When the doc says to you, those don't have kids, I'll put it this way. When the doc says, you really need to stop eating Twinkies and lose 20 pounds because you're not doing well. Is he being cruel? No. He's, well, you might think he is, but no. He's being wise and giving you wise counsel. And in the same way, here's what I want you guys to understand. In the same way, God gives us his word and establishes a moral standard, not because he's a killjoy, but because he's a loving father. His guardrails, his, yes, I'll use the C word, commandments, his directives, his precepts are for our good. 
The psalmist wrote this in Psalm 119.105. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. Your word, your precepts, your directives, your commandments, your word is a light to, to guide my feet and to light my path. And if you've ever been in a dark place, you know how great it is to have a light. It helps us avoid running into things. The power went out this week in my house during the storm, and just briefly, but what was the first thing I went for? Flashlight, because I don't want to run into things. I don't want to get hurt. We understand the value of light, and God's word is light to give us direction. The Apostle Paul said this in Ephesians 5, 15 and 16. Be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but live like those who are wise. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Paul says, don't be foolish. Now, in the Bible, whenever you see the word fool, you see it a lot in the book of Proverbs. A fool, let me give you a definition. A fool is anyone who doesn't connect the dots, the connected dots between their choices and consequences. A fool is someone who acts without thinking that there might be a result from this act. They don't connect the dots between their choices and consequences. And Paul says, don't go there. Don't be foolish. He says, in fact, be careful how you walk, where you live, because you don't want to get too close to danger, to the, the danger zone and end up getting hurt. And a part of being wise is keeping our eyes open for the things that are ahead, the dangers that are around us. And they're all around us. When I'm on my bike, I'm looking for potholes, for deer, for people who are not looking for bikes that are going to pull out in front of me. That's the wise way to live. And Paul says, live wisely. Don't be foolish. I know, again, let me say it again. I know. We live in a culture that looks at marriage, at sex outside of marriage, as just recreational activity. They do. As normal, natural, no big deal. But the truth is, and it's a sad truth, that hedonism, self-pleasure, pleasure-seeking, has replaced holiness, and it's destroying lives. The reason why I'm passionate about this is because I've sat with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people in my office over the years whose lives have been destroyed because they rejected the holy standards of God and they've lived a hedonistic lifestyle and it's ruined their marriage, it's ruined their life, it's ruined them, it's hurt them deeply. Research has shown, and I'm not gonna give you a bunch of facts, but let me just throw some things out here. Research has shown that those sexually active teenagers are more likely to get depressed and even suicidal. And according to the CDC, the Center for Disease Control, suicide is the third leading cause of death amongst the generation, the teenagers, from ages 10 actually to 24. Now, they're not all committing suicide because they've had premarital sex, but connect the dots. A huge part of that is because they're dealing with guilt and shame because they've lived outside of what they know to be right. Study after study, not just Christian studies, but bunches of them, have shown the ability to bond with a, a human is critical to sexual health, family development, and marital stability. But here's the problem. And I'm just going to lay it out here. And by the way, I should have mentioned early on, if you've got young, young children, you might want to go like this a few times. Or you'll be explaining some things this afternoon. But um, well, here's what happens. People run around and they, they, they hook up. They get into a relationship. Maybe they're going steady. Maybe they're, you know, they're, they're, they're committed for a while. But then they, they engage in sex and then they break up. Then they get hooked up with someone else, and they engage in sex, and they break up. And they go through this cycle. And again, this is becoming way more common in our culture. And that cycle, every, that, what that causes is that individual begins to lose their ability to truly bond, to bond in a deep and meaningful way with the person that God intends for them, their lifelong marriage partner. 
Obviously, this affects one's ability then to enter into and to sustain a lasting marriage because there's a problem with bonding. Studies have shown that having, that, 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 uh, having even one intimate sexual relationship prior to marriage is, is linked to an increase in the divorce rate. I don't think it's coincidental that with the sexual revolution that I was, my generation in the 60s and the 70s, what we began to see then, that you can track the incredible rise in the divorce rate with the freedom rate in sexual, in our, in our culture. It's not coincidental. Because these people have lost an ability to bond, and it increases this risk of divorce. Secular research has shown, not just Christians, again, secular research has shown that those who cohabit, live together prior to marriage, that it teaches them that they can have some of the benefits of marriage without the commitments of marriage. And that, in turn, fosters this independence that is not healthy. I've said this before. I will say it again. I'll stand on it. I'll go nose to nose with anybody on this issue. God did not make us to live independent. He made us to live interdependent, connected in meaningful relationships with others. And that is absolutely true in marriage. And to the degree that we can strengthen that bond and that interdependence we have, thereby goes the strength of the marriage. Did you know, here's another little fact, that those, the more promiscuous you are before marriage, the more sexually active you are before marriage, the more likely you are to commit adultery after marriage. Why? Well, because you've not learned self-restraint. Because you've learned to practice and to live in a way that you think, well, I get married, now I can sex whenever I want to. Well, come talk to me about that. That may not be true either. But here's the deal. You think getting married is going to solve all your sexual drive problems or that you won't be tempted anymore? No. And, that's not, and if you don't learn to practice restraint and discipline and to live within the guardrails that God intends for you to live, then what do you think magically just, just switched off when you get married? It doesn't. You need to understand that unhindered, I'll put it this way as clearly as I can, unhindered sexual satisfaction of our flesh, including porn, by the way, and I won't digress there, but unhindered satisfaction of our flesh leads to self-centeredness that destroys relationships. It does. Years ago, a young married man came to me for some help, and he told me that he had been very sexually active prior to getting married. I didn't ask for details, but he said very, and I assume that meant multiple partners. Now, his, life, his wife, by the way, was, was stunning. She was a very beautiful woman, and they'd been married about a year or so. But he told me that he was still frequently tempted to cheat on his wife because, and these were his words, not mine, he missed the thrill of conquest. Now, what you need to understand is that he lived in a way of living, a lifestyle, an attitude that was really, and I know not all guys are this bad about it. I, I, I'm not... I'm not generalizing here, but for him, it was like one more notch in his belt. Yep, one more. And he was actually, before he came to know Jesus and before he got married, he was kind of proud of that. And so he says, I've given my life to Christ, and I'm trying to love Jesus, and I don't understand, and I'm struggling with this. And he told me, in fact, that often while making love to his wife, he thought of previous sexual partners, which, by the way, the Bible defines that as adultery. Adultery is not just what happens here, it's what happens here and here. And so that's defined by the Bible. He says, I need help. And I began to work with him, through him some, some things that he needed to learn, unlearn. But the problem was he had lived in a lifestyle, a way that had become a pattern for him. And he thought once he got married, it would just be turned off, and that didn't happen. I could go on and on and on about the unbelievable rise in STDs. 
or the fact, and almost epidemic rise in STDs, or the fact that single moms are the fastest growing demographic in our country today. Now, if you're a single mom, you know we love you, we're glad you're here, but you know how hard it is. And you know how difficult it is to do this on your own. And we're kidding ourselves. Here's my point. We are kidding ourselves. If we can just, and, and, and burying our heads in the sand, if we think that th we can just casually dismiss this issue as no big deal. This is a huge issue. The reason why I said it applies to all of us is because it affects all of us. It affects people emotionally, physically, spiritually, and it affects the church. And too many have adopted a, a view of premarital sex, sex that is far from God's view. And they don't even see how foolish and unwise it is. Listen, let me say it one more time. God is not a killjoy. You're thinking, man, I don't get it. Sex is so much fun. Uh-huh. It is. I really enjoy it. You don't ask me. I know. It's tough. But see, God's intent for you is to be in a married relationship where sex gets better and incredible and where it's something that operates within the parameters that he's given for us. And his call to holiness is not harsh. He's done so because he wants us to live holy, wholesome, and sexually fulfilling lives with one person for our entire life. That's his design. He connected us, meant us to be connected and bonded with one person in an amazing and marvelous way. And according to another study, and I'll just give you one more little fact here, couples who waited, think, well, what's the, why, what's the benefit? Here it is. Couples who waited till marriage to have sex have had the following advantages. 22% had higher relationship stability. And they interviewed, by the way, thousands of couples. 22% had higher relationship stability. 20% had higher relationship satisfaction. 15% had better sex. Why? Because it was guilt-free, and it's in marriage. It's, it's awesome when you wait. It's, there's no shame. It's guilt-free. 12% had better communication. And can I suggest that the reason for that is because they learn how to talk before they jump in the sack together. That, well, the relationship wasn't based on the physical nature. It was based on something much deeper. Premarital sex has consequences. Obeying God has blessings. Write it down. It's truth. Any time we step outside of God's parameters, God's guidelines, God's guardrails, there's going to be a consequence. So whatever sin you want to deal with, there's a consequence. Now, thankfully, we have his mercy and his grace, and often he spares us, but we risk suffering and consequences for our choices. But when we obey him, there's blessing. And that's why the Bible is clear about this. The Bible is clear. Sex outside of marriage is sexual immorality. End of story. One more verse, and I'll move on. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 to 5. It is God's will. Ever wonder what God's will is for your life? What does God want for me? I need to know God's will. I love it when I find passages that say, here's God's will. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. What does that word mean? It means set apart, holy, dedicated him, special for him. It's God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. Same word that we read from Ephesians. That each of you should learn, and it is something that we have to learn, and sometimes we have to unlearn some things. That each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. Holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. If we love God, if we want to walk with him, then I hope you want to live a life that honors him and honors what he's done in you and through you. That you live a holy life within the guardrails. For your protection. All right, here's the, here's the last thing I want to cover. Number two, our self-will is not enough to battle 
to win the battle of sexual purity. I just called you to holiness. Guess what? You can't do it on your own. Everything I just talked about is impossible. It, it, I don't believe, especially in our culture, you're going to get there without help. Our self-will is not enough to win the battle of sexual purity. And I don't care whether you're dealing with premarital sex, extramarital sex, pornography, anything else. Your self-will may keep you clean for a while, but it's not going to do, do enough. I'll be brief here because I've dealt with this before. But it is imperative that you understand you will not stay within the guardrails or stay sexually pure without help. Here's reality 101. Your sex drive is powerful. Now, for some of you, it's way more powerful than others, but it's still powerful. And we live in a culture where we are constantly bombarded, constantly bombarded by sexual stimuli. You can't drive down Sprague Boulevard without seeing something sexual. And you probably, I won't describe them, you know what I'm talking about. You can't walk through the mall. I mentioned I was with my grandson the other day in the mall. And, and we're down on the bottom floor and we walk by the store, you all know it, and there's this huge, massive, half-naked woman with a sexy bra on. And I'm thinking, good Lord, it's everywhere. And I grab my grandson, son, don't look. You know, <laughs> guys, we are, we are bombarded with it everywhere we go. Sex on primetime TV is common. And often, more often than not, it's sex outside of marriage. Can I just stomp on another one of my pet peeves? God, parents, if you're letting your children watch programs that are in, and encourage this, and you think well, it's just a half-hour funny situation comedy, this, this week, I, I'm asking, watch, watch it with your kids and take, grab a piece of paper and write down every time, or just put a click, just make a mark every time sexual comment is made or something sexual is done or somebody's having sex or in the sack with somebody they're not married to. And then tell me you don't think it's a problem for your high school kids, your junior high kids to watch those programs. Ah, it's just funny. It's no big deal. Stupid. Don't go there. I'm not calling you stupid. I'm saying that. I'm saying it. Okay. <laughs> Bombarded. Bombarded everywhere we turn. And there are programs you just need to turn off and stop watching. Yeah, but I love that. What's that stupid one about the ladies, the, the decadent housewives? What was it called? Desperate housewives. Decadent, desperate, whatever. <laughs> I... I, I Programs like that are ungodly. And they stimulate something in you that is ungodly. Do you get that? And, and I'm married or not, well, no, they're ungodly and we need to draw a boundary. And don't get me even started about the internet and Victoria's Secret commercials and all the other stuff. Listen, never before, here's my point, never before in the history of mankind have we had to deal with the amount of sexual stimuli that we have to deal with every day. Sexual sin has been a problem from the beginning. Around forever. That's not new. But the amount of stimuli, the stuff that's bombarding us all the time has never been worse. So what do we do? Let me punch through these things, and I'm going to be quick, but let me punch through these things. What do we do? How can we deal with this reality? Letter A, to stay pure, we must guard our eyes, mind, and heart. There is a part that we, though you can't do it on your own, we've got to make some choices. And we've got to decide what we're going to allow our eyes to look at and what we're going to allow our minds to meditate or, or focus on. James 1, 14 and 15, James says, each person, each person, that includes you, is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. We let it, we get focused on something, we look at something, we go there. Then, after desire has conceived, 
We let it simmer there. It's conceived. It gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full-grown, gives birth to death. It always brings death at some level, relational death. For some, financial death because of the, their addiction to porn. It brings some suffering at some level. And the battle begins in the mind and in the heart. And so be careful and be wise. Guard your eyes. Learn. To, you know, nobody can help looking the first time. Nobody. But you don't have to go back for a second look. We choose. Letter B, to stay pure, we must stay full of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.18, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, kind of like that word, to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And you've heard me teach on this before. It means be being filled. Live in an ongoing interaction, in, in encounter with God. It's not just, you know, I got filled with the Spirit back in 1967 at camp. No, it's today and later today. And tomorrow, and when we're struggling, and we feel tempted, and we're wrestling, we need to say, oh God, oh God, oh God, please give me more. I need more of you and less of me. Fill me with your spirit. And here's some incredibly good news. You want some good news? Somebody feeling a little depressed and beat up. Here's some really good news. God never asks us to do anything on our own. He, he never asks us to obey and to follow him without giving us the power we need to do so. His power is available. We need to ask for the Holy Spirit to receive that power, to walk and live in it. Let us see, to stay pure, we need to saturate our minds with the scripture, with the word of God. Guys, every day, every day, I read the Old Testament and the New Testament. Sometimes 10 minutes, sometimes 30 minutes. I don't really have a set regimen, but I, I am in the word every day, and that's been my pattern for decades. Why? Because I want to saturate my mind. I want to wash my soul that is slimed by this culture so much with God's truth and God's word. Psalm 119.11, the psalmist says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I meditate, I've hidden it, I, I am embracing it so that I won't go there. Ephesians 4 says the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. It brings health and, and healing and wholeness to our lives. Get in the word every day, get in the word. Letter D, to stay pure. We need to be in supportive and accountable relationships with others. This deserves its very own message all by itself. But let me just say that not only has God given us his spirit, which thankful, incredible, and what a gift the Holy Spirit is to us, but he's given us people, the body of Christ, the church, the community of faith, people in your life to support and to encourage you. Hebrews 3.13 says, encourage one another daily. Now that word encourage, we read it and it's actually not a very good translation in my opinion to just use the word encourage because it's not just an applaud, hey, you will, go, go, you know. It's, it's more than that. It includes challenge. It includes warning. It includes admonition. It includes provoking one another. Uh, words used again in Hebrews chapter 10. But Hebrews 3 says, encourage one another. Warn, admonish, urge, challenge. And here it is. So that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. I need you in my life, you need me. I stand up here from this platform and challenge you on a weekly basis because we need to be challenged by the word of God. But guys, you need to be in relationship just like I am with a couple other people of the same sex, by the way, guys with guys, gals with gals, who they will call you on the carpet when you're stupid. They will ask you the hard questions. How you doing with your eyes? Are you staying off the stupid stuff on the internet? How, how, what's going on? How can I support you and encourage you? We need that kind of 
relationship in our life. And the last one, letter E. I told you I'd punch through this quick. Letter E, to stay pure, we need to stay passionate about our relationship with God. Now, this might seem like the biggest duh in the world. But what I've come to understand is that a huge part of the reason why I want to be holy and more like Jesus is because I, I have this love relationship with him. I know how much I'm loved and I love him in response to all he's done for me. And that love creates this desire to want to do the right things. John 14, 15, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And some get focused on the commandment part, which is part of this, and it's true. Yes, there are things God wants us to do. But the first part is so incredible. It says, if you love me, love is the key. I've come to discover that knowledge is good, but not enough to keep me out of trouble. Do not raise your hands. <laughs> but how many of you talk on the phone while driving? That's illegal, by the way. How many of you text while driving? That's, not, that's illegal and stupid. How many of you um, know that it's not healthy to e eat a huge bowl of ice cream every night? And the doctor said, you need to get your cholesterol on, but you do it anyhow. How, I'm, okay, I'll stop. <laughs> Knowledge is not enough. If it was just knowing that would keep me out of trouble, then, you know, most of us would be fine all the time. We know plenty. Fear and guilt. How about those as motivators? Now, they work for a while. There are churches, there are whole groups of Christians that are very, very good at using fear and guilt. And because for a while, it will keep your nose clean. It will keep you out of trouble. But fear and guilt is a lousy motivator because it only lasts as long as I'm afraid of getting busted or as long as I feel bad. So, you know, I have these moments where I don't really care and I don't feel bad anymore and I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And so fear and guilt aren't great motivators. Love, guys, love is the motivator that motivates us to want to obey God, motivates us to want to honor him. That young man that I mentioned who came to me, struggling a year in his marriage with lust and, and flirtatious and thoughts, you know why he came to me? Because he loves Jesus and he loves his wife. And because he knows that Jesus loves him and that his wife loves him. It was love that motivated him to come to me in a pretty humbling way to say, Man, I've been screwing up, and I don't get this. I need help. It wasn't, you know, uh, some thing in and of himself. It was this awareness of the love that he has from God and the love he has from his wife. Love will motivate you to want to be Jesus, to be like Jesus. And so when you feel yourself slipping and tempted and struggling, man, just come back and remember again how much he loves you and let that love draw you to him. Well, if you've stumbled or fallen in sexual sin, um, you're sitting around a bunch of people who have blown it as well. Nobody's perfect. Not one of us is perfect. Everybody has made big mistakes. Every person in this room shares this in common. We've all messed up. Every one of us has sinned, and that's why we all need a Savior. And here's the good news, and I want to finish with this. The good news is, no matter what happened last night, no matter what happened yesterday, no matter what happened a week ago, a month ago, a decade ago, the truth of the matter is you can be forgiven. Bow your heads, let me pray for you. Lord, thank you for the grace that you've given to us that brings us to a place of forgiveness where we don't have to carry the guilt and the shame of our past. We don't have to carry the guilt and the shame of what we did yesterday. But we can walk in forgiveness, in freedom, in you. 
And so I pray right now, God, that, that if some have felt convicted today by your Holy Spirit, that that conviction would lead them to the cross. If they feel condemned, Lord, that's the enemy, that they would shake that condemnation off and not ex- embrace that because that will not lead them to the cross. It will not lead them to life. But God, conviction's good. It brings us to the point where we realize we need to change and we need a savior. We need you. And so I know, Lord, that in this room, at some level, every one of us, at some point, at some level in our lives, we've all failed. We've all sinned sexually. And God, my heart right now is that we would leave here knowing that we're forgiven, knowing that we've confessed our sins to you, knowing that we are free and that we can have your power and your spirit and your help to get where we need to be. Keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. Maybe you're here today and you've not started your walk as a Christ follower. I'm talking about embracing the forgiveness of God and experiencing that and you're thinking, man, I don't, I'm not, I don't, I don't, I'm, that's not happened for me yet. I want that. I need that. How do I get that? Well, it begins with a choice in your heart to say yes to God. To say, yes, God, I have sinned. You have to confess your sin. Not all of them, not all the details, but you confess, yes, God, I am a sinner in need of your grace. And then you come to the one who is the grace giver, the forgiver, Jesus. You say, I believe in you. I believe in what you did for me on that cross. And I embrace that gift of forgiveness, the gift of grace, and you accept his gift. And then you you repent. You turn from where you were, the direction you were going, and you walk toward God. You walk to him. And if you're here today and you want to do that in your own heart, just make my prayer your prayer right now. Father, forgive me. I've sinned against you. Jesus, I need your grace. I need your forgiveness. God, I am turning from what I've done, and I'm turning to you. I'm repenting and giving you my life. I'm surrendering my all to you, my past, my present, and my future. It's yours. Now, if that's you, that's what you want. Again, just in your own heart, say, yep, God, that's what I need. That's what I want. The Bible says that moment you make that decision, you become the child of God, a a forgiven child of his. Lord, for those making that decision in this room right now, for those watching online, God, seal in in their hearts that they are forgiven. And then, Lord, for those that have been sitting here today and they've been blowing it, maybe they blew it last night, they've blown it this week, and they realize they've sinned sexually, and they already know you. They know that you've forgiven them. Lord, I pray right now they would confess and repent. They would confess that sin to you in their heart and say, Lord, it is wrong. They just said, I don't want to go there. I don't want to be that person. And that they would turn to you and receive all that you have, all the resources of heaven, to become the man or woman that you want them to be. Help them leave here today forgiven and empowered to walk a life after you. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to take an offering now during this last song. If you uh, have that uh, communication card with a prayer request or or your guest, please just drop that in. But let's give as we worship. I'll come back and wrap, wrap it up. That's my prayer for you is that you'll leave here today knowing that you can walk in that glory and that goodness and the power of the Holy Spirit to live a life that honors him. And that's his heart for you as well. Today, if you begin your life as a Christ follower, let someone know. Tell the person you came with or come tell me. We want to celebrate with you. Back on the tables, by the doors, there's a packet. It's a white packet. It says for new believers. It's got a Bible. It's going to started. Pick one of those up. Prayer team will be down front. There's communion both sides of the room. One last thing. Don't uh, forget to stop by the tables. There's a tree of sharing over there. The safe families and the adoption tables over there. And then I hope, I pray that you guys will come back. I know I'm asking a lot. Come back tonight at 6 o'clock and... And join us for an important time for our church. God bless you guys. Enjoy the day.